things girlfriends share. Welcome to Girlfriend It, hosted by women for women on a variety of topics most relevant to our daily lives. Weekly, we have incredible, inspiring, and influential guests as we explore everything from why ambitious women don't quite reach their full potential to how we deal with the dailiness of life. Together, we will hear compelling stories of other individuals in hopes of one thing. How do we get to know ourselves? Well, welcome. This is Girlfriended. I'm Patty Lynn Wyatt, and I will be your host today. I just have to give you some, some statistics here that when I they they blew me away. According to the National Eating Disorder Association, there are about 10 million people in the U.S. with an eating disorder and millions more with a binging disorder. Eating disorders today have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. This shocked me to hear. It has the highest death rate of all mental illnesses. And in America, this, this research was done in 2012, so I, I'm assuming there's even better research um, out there. But we lost 34,000 to breast cancer, but 300,000 to an eating disorder. And I know Girlfriend It is all about discovering your purpose, your, you know, your divine design. So why are we talking about eating disorders? And when I have had my eyes open to this uh, because of the thousands of women who are dealing with this silently and shamefully, if you are one of those women or someone you love is dealing with this, please, please, please contact me. And with that said, let's jump into meeting our, our guest. Uh, they are authors of Table for Two, Biblical Council for Eating Disorders, and we have David and Krista Dunham. Welcome. How are you guys? We're well. We're thanks. good. Thank you. Uh, Dave, I want to start with you. You have your Master's of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and you are a pastor and biblical counsel counselor, and you're also the author of Addictive Habits, Changing for Good, and now you and your wife are co-author of Table for Two, Biblical Counsel for Eating Disorders, and that leads to you, Krista. You are a biblical counselor as well and a curriculum developer for various women's and children's ministry, and your degree is in early childhood education. Uh, so amazing, you two, that you have answered God's calling for what you need to do in your next step of writing this book. So I'm going to jump in with you, Krista. You have suffered from an eating disorder for many years. And if you don't mind just sharing your story, like, let's go way back. Don't, don't miss any of the details here because we really want to hear your story. Okay. Um... Yeah, I was um, a kid who just really liked to have things in order. I would come home from school and kind of, uh, if I changed my clothes, it had to be from my hair bow down to my socks. Like, mm -hmm. I just liked things to be in order. And um, it really kind of played out a little heavier when I got into to college. And I found out, like, that the world was just a lot bigger and harder than I imagined it to be. And, um, so I, I gained, you know, the freshman 15, like so many, 
so many um, college students do. And but it kind of um, did something different to me that I immediately just went on a diet and it wasn't just a, a diet. It was, you know, I had to follow these certain rules and I had to make a plan for it. And I had, you know, notebooks that I wrote things down in and it was, you know, more of a life dominating type of thing. Um, but then I did end up having a car accident. Um, it was, you know, just not very long into my second year of college and my car um, slipped on some ice and it ended up turning upside down on a guardrail that was over top of uh, a huge ravine that in my mind as I'm as it's happening it's playing out I just thought I I'm definitely gonna die like my car is going over and that you know that's the end and um, it ended up flipping back down and landing on all of the wheels and I was fine. Nothing happened. But when I got back to school after the break, I ended up kind of, um, I just went through and ate everything in my room and then I got rid of it. I purged. And, um, I think that was definitely like a tipping point for me. And, and I keep, you know, using that term, like it just, like literally or figuratively, I guess, more sent me over the edge into something that I didn't really realize um, was was so scary and difficult. And so I was kind of just staring right into the mouth of the beast of this is more than than I understand. I don't know what I just did. This is, you know, as I said, just really scary and it kind of went on for a while. I just thought, oh, it's stress. I don't know how to deal with that. And I ended up, um, I did write a letter to, he was my boyfriend at the time, my husband, and just kind of explained everything that, that had happened. And so just my diet went from, um, you know, just counting calories and exercising into, um, you know, eating more than I could handle and purging or, you know, some at sometimes just counting calories extensively to where, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't healthy for me. Okay. There, there's a lot I want to unpack here because you gave a couple of things. You went from the freshman 15, which, uh, I, I know I, I, where I went to college, that was kind of the norm where girls would go in, we had a bathroom down the hall and they would all go to Taco Bell or, you know, whatever, and then kind of binge Mm -hmm. and throw up together in the showers. And Mm -hmm. we just, we knew about it, but you didn't think anything of it. I mean, it's kind of weird when you, when you look back and go, Oh yeah, that's just what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then I found out later, uh, as I, um, I was invited to a place where they deal with eating disorders and they said at some of the colleges, they have to go in and, and deal with the plumbing, uh, because of, of this, where they're just throwing up so much and it's kind of the silent thing. And yet I look back on that and I go, but we, we knew that this was going on, but yet we're not, are we not talking about it? Is there not a place, um, to go for, 
for therapy or we just think this is the norm. And I also want to find out, Dave, when you had this letter that she sent to you, what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were both pretty young. Uh, we, uh, uh, we got married at 21. And so we were younger than that at the point that I discovered uh, uh, this information. And she, she wrote the letter, but she was, I think, uh, you know, in, in your words, you were what, just uh, sort of desperate enough to, to, to talk about it, that she just read me the letter over the phone. Mm. And so, you know, initially I was, I was really concerned. I was, uh, um, you know, sad for her, sorrowful for her. I wanted to help. Uh, and so, you know, I was, uh, I was very proactive. I'm gonna, you know, fix this problem for my, my girlfriend and I'm going to figure out some plan. And so, uh, you know, we devised this plan. She was going to transfer colleges and I would be there to sort of support her and hold her accountable and help her to, you know, just get over this thing. And, uh, and so I was, uh, naive and ambitious and I figured, you know, a couple of months we'll have this thing licked and we'll be able to move on. Uh, and, uh, it ended up taking over 10 years to, uh, work through. Mm. Well, now I want to go back. Uh, Krista, you said it started kind of in college and, and from some of the things that I'm reading about this, and I went to, I want to say Winslow, Arizona. I can't remember where it is in Arizona, uh, but it's a place where girls can go live to, to have mm. therapy. And I know at the time when I did the tour, it was anywhere from 50,000, it was like $1,200 a day or something like that. So you were, oh, wow. you yeah. were going through $50,000, you know, for like six weeks up to a quarter of a million, um, to, for six mm -hmm. months. And, you know, parents were refinancing their homes. They were taking out inheritances. They were doing whatever they could. And what, what surprised me is that the girls were 10, 11 years old. So this mm -hmm. was something, you know, that takes place when you're in college. It was starting at such a young age when actual puberty, and that made me go back to, I know for, you know, just the dysmorphia that takes place. And mm -hmm. I even addressing that, and um, I, I'm sure you have this in your book, but I'm thinking when I was in elementary school and I, I was maturing faster than any of my peers and I was a swimmer and a runner very, you know, into all athletics. Mm. And I remember having my brother, when I would get out of the, out of a race, I would ask him, would you come and with a towel as soon as I get out mm. and cover me up, mm. you know, basically because I with, like I said, I was maturing and I reached puberty before anyone else. I didn't want anybody to see this. I didn't want to be the abnormal one. And when I was running, I would run with, I would keep my windbreaker on. Now I live in Arizona. So this is not <laughs> I would keep on my team windbreaker, you know, uh, what, when I ran, because I didn't want anyone to, to see this. So you, you think of this is what starts this, this dysmorphia. And I never realized as I got older that I did have a disorder, but my relationship with food was if I eat, I just work out mm -hmm. over and beyond. Mm -hmm. 
But I just thought, oh, you're an athlete. And I, to this day, I still think that, oh, you're just, this is what an athlete will do. So let's go there with some of that. Did you find that, Krista, you were trying to control your eating with just working out as well? Mm. Um, Yeah, I did a lot of that because some some of in the beginning, especially, was just, you know, the the exercise, I could feel that control, like the, you know, the scale would be moving when I, you know, exercise more. And so, and even far into it. And I think that's why we even talk about it's, it's sometimes, um, you know, you want to cover a spectrum of a lot of people who are struggling because to put them sometimes in a certain category, you know, you, you miss some things about what their behavior is, is doing or saying. And so I never felt like I could pinpoint exactly, oh, I'm anorexic or bulimic or, um, and so, um, it does kind of cover across different categories. And there are people who, who are struggling that may even feel like they, oh, I'm not even there yet. I'm not quite, you know, to the point of like disordered eating. And so they won't get help and they won't, um, take it as seriously but there are you know different categories and yeah I would have fit some of that category I would have fit a lot of various categories and I think that's what made it difficult sometimes the the compulsive exercise piece can be I think particularly difficult for people because we justify exercise exercise is healthy and good and right you're supposed to you know be in shape and be healthy and but, you know, in Krista's case, uh, it really was compulsive. She was working out at two in the morning and she was uh, not allowing her body any kind of recovery times. And mm-hmm. so, you know, compulsive exercise can actually be, you know, uh, very detrimental to your health and uh, even even life threatening, if not careful. And so um, so we do talk about that in the book as well. So it can be a, a, a sort of different manifestation of an eating uh, issue. Yeah, I think that's what's hard, you know, across the board about eating disorders is just that there are a lot of components where you think, well, this, this is healthy. I can justify this because, you know, I'm supposed to keep track of what I'm eating. I'm supposed to, Mm. um, not cross this line, you know, and there's just, you know, um, like I said, it just, it does kind of cross a line Mm. of there. It's more than that. And so, um, moderation is just hard to reach when like mm-hmm. you do have, you do have to eat every day and you are supposed to exercise, but to find that level of, well, you're not supposed to do it, you know, past, you know, yeah. a healthy level. Well, mm-hmm. what, what is that healthy level? And I think just figuring out how is this reaching into my thoughts in a way that is, is, um, is deeper than it should be. And not exactly my behavior, but how, what is in my heart when I'm doing this? What, how is this reaching a level in my thoughts that goes beyond, um, you know, just what I'm supposed to do? I don't know. Yeah. And I I want, I want to uncover that because yeah, what's going on in your brain, what's going on in your heart? Uh, We don't understand. I think that it really is a brain disease. Um, you know, there's a, there's a physical aspect, but the psychological aspect is what's so crazy, crazy. And I never thought of it as a brain disease. And someone explained to me 
that there's this continuous static that's going on in your brain. So when a normal person is enjoying that relationship with food and is sitting down and eating, of your fat, why you, why are you eating this? How many calories is this going to, you know, uh, are you going to go throw this up or are you going to starve yourself? Whatever is going on. And then after you have that meal, then whatever you're doing next, and especially if you're in college and you're going to take an exam or whatever, that's still taking place. So how are you to focus when there's the static and this conversation, this negative narrative that's continuously going on that you can't stop the loop? It's just going to revisit and revisit. So you, even with your, you're with a, a group of people and you're eating, you're focused on, on that food rather than the community that's around you. So let's talk. I know you have that in your book a little bit more on the, the brain disease aspect. Uh, explain that. Like what exactly is an eating disorder? Hmm. Well, I think first of all, we would take it even deeper than the brain to say it's, it's a heart issue. It's, it's what you're believing. It's what you're desiring. It's what you're wanting Mm. in your heart. And so it does, it does ultimately then affect your brain. It, it affects Mm. what you're thinking, but we would say it goes much deeper than that to, to what's in your heart. And, and even, um, to cross over, I would want to say it's a, it's an allegiance Mm. issue to say, am I following Christ or Mm. am I not following Christ, Mm. you know, with my thoughts. And, um, but like I said, that goes deeper down into your heart of Mm. what, what's your motive? What are you, um, desiring, wanting, believing that doesn't follow the scripture and Mm. doesn't follow what Christ would, would show Mm. as an example. So in the book, we talk about some of the common motives that do kind of drive people's uh, generally speaking, drive people's um, destructive eating habits. And, and an eating disorder really is just a, a pattern of destructive eating habits or food-related practices that ultimately affect our physical and psychosocial health. And so we we see it as this pattern of indulgences or behaviors or restrictions uh, that ultimately have these really negative impacts on our on our whole person. Uh, but the, there's a number of sort of motives in the heart that start to drive some of that. So in Krista's own narrative, it was really a desire to be in control. And the car accident helped her realize she wasn't in control as much as she wanted to be. And so it began to be this sort of replacement practice. I can control what I look like, how much I eat, uh, you know, how much I weigh, what my, you know, what my fastest time on the treadmill is. I, I have control in this part of my world. And that uh, helps to kind of offset some of the feelings of being out of control in other parts of my life. Um, mm. But there are lots of other motives um, that, that people have. And of course, as many motives as there are individuals. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now how long, Krista, did you you started this in college? Mm-hmm. How long did this take place before you finally I mean, are, have you completely recovered now? Well, I, I think um, I was probably a unique situation where I, I didn't partake in the behavior for long before I, I asked for help. And so, um, but even then it still took, like we said, about 10 years to just this behavior continued to, to play out. Even as I'm saying, I, 
I want to stop doing this. I don't know how. And um, so I guess, you know, I would say now, as I would describe it, you know, I use words like victory or freedom or recovery. Um, and I do truly believe that those things are right and true. But the way that we understand um, following Christ is that you will, you, you won't be free completely of temptations. Mm. And so, um, and you won't be free of sin. And so you, um, I do have moments where, you know, if I, um, you know, you have to get weighed at the doctor's office. And so I, you know, I'll have these little things creep in to say, you know, to say things to me about, you know, what's on the scale or whatever. But what's different now is that it, it does not overtake my life. Um, I can walk away and, and use the tools that I have, have gained over, you know, this long period of time to, um, to get past that in comparison to how I used to be. And it would swirl around in my head for weeks mm. at a time and it would change, um, how I acted. It would change what I was thinking. Um, and I feel like, yes, definitely when, when I have things enter my life that are, you know, incredibly stressful, I have, um, different things that, um, I guess as I would describe it in the book, I said, it's, it's always in the background of my heart. Mm-hmm. And so, and we all have those types mm-hmm. of things that hang out in there and tell mm-hmm. you lies. And, um, and so I feel like that would be, you know, my, my sin that I could fall into if I'm not careful. And so there are times it creeps up. So I don't want to be naive to say, uh, I'm, I'm totally free. I don't even think about mm-hmm. that. It's, you know, it's in my past. Um, I don't think that's a proper, healthy way to think about it. So um, I, I do feel like I can, I can eat, I can enjoy being with people, mm-hmm. I can, on a normal, you know, daily basis, I don't think much about it. But like I said, there are definitely times I feel like, oh, I, I'm thinking about this too much. What do I need to do? I need to find somebody to talk mm-hmm. to. I need to take action to stop this where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you kind of you kind of shared a little bit, but to go deeper, like what what are some of the underlying motives that that drive an eating disorder? Uh, I was talking with someone the other day, and uh, it, it actually it was it was a male, not a female, saying that no matter what food item, because because he was on a, a diet, and which I don't like that word at all, right? You always want to just go, okay, I'm going to choose to do some healthy eating here. But on this particular diet, there were were protein bars. And he said, now all I'm doing is binging on the protein bars. Like whatever food I'm allowed to eat, now I'm just binging on that. So he was trying to, you know, just a neat, godly guy. And he he said, I'm I'm realizing, okay, what am I trying to do here to numb my my pain Mm -hmm. and then bring it to the Lord and kind of, you know, just beg Mm -hmm. him to show up here. And and as he was talking, I I understood where he was coming from and I was empathetic. But then I was thinking for myself when I lose control of uh, my daughter's just made me lemon bars for Mother's Day. So I start eating it like a normal person. But instead of having one, 
then you go, man, that tastes good. It has nothing to do with at least what I think to numb my pain. My taste buds are just dancing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, then I have another one. Then I have another one. And I will literally say, I'm so sick. Like I am so sick. And then you have one more though. (laughs) So hearing someone say, yeah, I'm eating this to numb the pain, but sometimes you just eat because it just tastes so good. So what, what are your thoughts on that? And what is triggering it for you? I think one thing, you know, I think you make a good point, which is we all have a tendency to overeat at times. We all have a tendency to indulge our appetites and our taste buds and uh, to enjoy in, in excess. And so, you know, that's, that's fairly normal, but you know, there are places uh, in our lives, whether it's with eating or other things, where our motives are a little deeper. We do what we do because we want something. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Krista's, you know, situation, she talks a lot about wanting control. Um, but there are, there are other types of, you know, self-medication, is, as you've mentioned, is a, a pretty common one. You know, eating makes me feel better. Um, or, or sometimes restricting food makes me feel better. Uh, and so there's a, a type of self-medication. For some people, it can be a type of punishment. Uh, you didn't do well, so therefore you don't. You're not allowed to eat today, or you're not allowed to eat sweets today. Or, um, uh, and for other people, it can be uh, just straight appearance, as we've talked about before. Um, you know, I want to look a certain way, and so I have to, you know, reach that number on the scale. Um, or it can be pride. Uh, I feel better about myself because I am able to control what I eat. Um, those are some of the more common, common ones that we've seen anyways. Interesting. Well, we have two minutes left, uh, before we, we close the show. Uh, but I, I just, what would be one tip that we can leave with our listeners? And first of all, I just want to say, Thank you so much for writing this book. Thank you for being on the show. And and with that, what, what can we leave everyone with just in the hope of going through this, listening to this? What advice would you give them? I think number one, I mean, what our book says is get help. Like, don't be afraid to speak out about it and find someone, um, you know, tell someone that you trust. And that's the place to start. Like, I think you know, I, I wasn't really thinking through who's the best person to tell. I was just like, I want to tell somebody. So just, you know, um, talk to somebody about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, that's one thing I have noticed that this is definitely a silent disease Mm -hmm. because who wants to admit that I eat, which should be for this nutritious, you know, supplement and as soon as I eat, I then have to go puke it up. Like that's Mm -hmm. such an ugly thing to Mm -hmm. share with someone that you, especially for those people who really love control Mm. and like, but I don't have any control of what Mm. eating. I love this quote, um, Helen Keller, the world is full of struggling and it's full of overcoming. Uh, so just to, to have that hope because, um, we know that we can put our our hope in the Lord. So with that, thank you for being on the show and we will talk more again. Listening to Girlfriend It because our girlfriends are where we get our best tips for life. Find us on Facebook at Girlfriend It. Hit subscribe to iTunes or toginet.com.